Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Perfect. Hi, I'm Donovan Brown, Principal DevOps Manager with Microsoft, and I am so happy that we have Manil for a third time now, <laughs> because he keeps coming up with these great topics, and this one right is going to be all about quality. So, for those who haven't seen your previous episodes, please tell them what you do here at Microsoft. Again, hi everyone, I'm Manil Shah, I'm a Director of Engineering in the Visual Studio Team Services team. Perfect, and we had to change the way we think about quality yeah. to be able to just ship every three weeks the way that we do. And what you're going to do now is kind of show us some of the things that we had to do and change. So talk to us about what it meant and, and why we had to change and what we had to change. Yeah, so we moved to the cloud cadence in 2011. Okay. With the, with the, with the first time when we stood up the Visual Studio Team Services um, service in the cloud. And uh, prior to that, you know, at Microsoft, uh, we shipped on-prem products at a longer uh, cycle. Two, two to three, three years, cycle. yeah. <laughs> and so our quality practices uh, over the years uh, were developed to support that long cycle. And uh, oftentimes, um, in, in, at the core of that was we had two distinct disciplines. There was a dev and the test discipline. The test team wrote bulk of the test. Uh, and they did a great job writing really uh, you know, comprehensive sort of tests and formal quality measurements and whatnot. But those tests that were written, they often were end-to-end tests, uh, long-running tests. You know, and typically on a big product like uh, TFS, you, you you know you take almost two days to run the test, and and then there'll be all kinds of failures that you'd go through and analyze those failures. So that's the world we were in, and now we are two years into the cloud cadence, and we are realizing that there is no way we can survive in that world because the bits are going out. We want the, to get the bits out uh, at a much faster pace. So were these, you said they're writing these tests. Were these manual tests? Were these automated tests? What type of tests were these? No, these are automated tests. Okay. These are automated tests. There was manual testing also, but okay. these are automated tests that just took two days to run. Wow. Simply because there were so many of them, you know, because we have a very big surface area of the product. Uh, but more importantly, these are end-to-end -end tests, which requires a product deployment, and then the test runs, the cleanup and... And they're know, actually running, so they're using network, they're having yeah, all the yeah. same latency, they have all the dependencies between the database Absolutely. and the app tier. And more than running the test, the process of going through the results, because remember, uh, we had almost 27,000 tests that we had developed over the last uh, <laughs> 15, 15 years or so. Uh, when you run this many tests, and these are end-to-end -end nature, uh, the tests sometimes fail. Uh, in fact, uh, you would get anywhere from 10% to 20% failures at times on a, uh, wow. on, a, on a daily basis. So as we get closer to the release uh, um, uh, time, it may be l less, but still going through that many failures and understanding why it failed and is it the test problem or is it an environment problem and all of that, it's just, uh, it was just very painful. And sure. to do this uh, on a three week cadence was just uh, very, very difficult. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine, I'm, I'm struggling. I can imagine 27,000, I have, I think, 300 that I run against a module that I'm working on. Yeah. And when I run integration tests, again, it might fail because of an LSI. It might fail because of a network glitch. It might fail, not, my code is perfect, but my tests are failing, right. not because of anything that I can even control, but you run them again and they pass. And you're just like, oh my God, how am I ever supposed to ship? And how am I supposed to automate this? Because exactly. my build is failing, my release is failing, not because the code is broken, but because 
uh, I, I reached my quota on Azure for service <laughs> principles. You know what I mean? They're like, you can't create anymore. So it's failing not yeah. because it's broken, but because I've reached some limit I didn't even know existed, and now i got to right. go clean up. So I can imagine 27,000. Yeah. I mean, the, so the headache we, must we be So we needed a completely different approach for, to doing, for doing quality in the cloud sure, clearance. Sure. And uh, at a high level, we, we had to change three things. And let okay. me pull up my slide here so sure. you can see. So, we, we had to change the, the quality ownership. Who owns quality? I talked about the fact that we had a dev discipline and a test discipline. Correct. And we Correct. can talk about what happened with the change. Sure. We had to change who owns quality, who feels responsible for quality, uh, who writes the test and who runs the test and all of that. So that's one aspect. The second one is uh, we started working in a single Git repo. As we talked about in the previous uh, talk, uh, we started working in a single Git repo and everybody's working off of the master. What that means is that you have to keep the master in extremely good health. And so the key principle that we outlined is that the master needs to be always shippable. Uh, that you can actually take a, a, a build out of a master and put it out into production. Gotcha. It needs to be that quality all the time. So prior to that, did each team have their own repo? Did each team have their own TFVC? I mean, what was going on the back then? Prior to that, uh, there was a, a, a single uh, depot. However, people worked in very deep branching structures. So mm. people would work in their own feature branches, and, and they would then, stay there for a long and then, time. And they would stay there for a yeah. long time. You build up all this entropy, then the, uh, the merge uh, bomb. Uh, RI happens, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. When RI happens, uh, all everything f falls on the floor. Gotcha. Uh, and takes a long time to you know kind of stabilize that sure. and get it out. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so uh, we we wanted to switch to a model where everybody's just working uh, off the master, and that's where all the codes goes, and master just remains in a really good uh, shape all the time. In order to do that, we had to do two things. One is we have to push this concept uh, test, uh, shift left testing. Yep. So just get more and more testing done close to the code in the form of unit test, and we can get more into that. That's one aspect, but the second thing is it's not just sufficient to have a lot more unit tests and uh, uh, faster tests. You also want to make sure that there are no flaky tests, because sure. the tests fail, and when test fails, you don't know uh, whether whether it's because the commit that you just made, whether there was a bug with the commit, or was it a failure with the test itself or with the environment. And so we had a pretty rigorous approach to removing all the flakiness uh, out of our test collateral so that when something fails, we know that it failed because there is a bug uh, with the commit that was just made and not a problem with the test itself. And so where, as soon as the team sees that, they jump on it and they quickly fix it because they know there is a sense of urgency around that. In the past, we couldn't do that because the test failed all the time, and so right. nobody you would just jump. ignore it. Yeah, you yeah. ignore it. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunate. Okay, great. So we had to make sure that the engineer, or back then we called the dev, had to be responsible and own that quality. And, and the, I always talk to tell people about quality is something that you should be designing into the product. It shouldn't right. be something you bolt on later. And historically, that's what we would do. We would come get code complete not even write a single unit test, throw that over the fence, and then bugs would come rushing back over to us as right. they run all their manual tests, and then we would bolt on quality uh, yeah. after the fact. And, and yeah, it sounds so like we've made so that change. Yeah, exactly. So the inflection point for making this change was uh, what we this thing that we did, uh, what we call combined engineering. Okay. Um, it's, it's an internal term, but essentially what we did is we combined the dev and test team together. And this is not just an organizational change. This is a fundamental change in the definition of an engineer uh, at Microsoft. Whereas in the past, we had two kinds of engineers. There is a software development engineer and software development engineer in test. So these are both developers. We hire them from some of the same uh, computer science schools and uh, uh, places like that. 
But we, when we brought them at Microsoft, we put them in two different disciplines. A person who writes code, writes features, and the person who writes code that tests the features, or gotcha. who writes the automation, automation. to test the features. Gotcha. And uh, in a cloud cadence where you're moving so fast, this notion of one person writes something, another person tests, and then you go back and forth based on a bug is found, and you get a fix, and it just doesn't work. Uh, moreover, the, the incentives are not aligned in terms of writing higher quality tests, the tests that are uh, unit tests, because you have another person who's writing all the tests for you. So that was the first thing we, had, we wanted to change, and we, we made that change um, through a, uh, an effort called Combined Engineering, where we just, so if you had a feature team that had, was a five-person dev team and a five-person test team, we merged it together, and we said this is a 10-person uh, engineering team, and everybody owns writing the features as well as testing the features. So if I'm an engineer in a particular feature team and I'm designing a, a feature, I own it end-to-end -end from uh, getting the architecture right, from doing the design, from writing the code, from testing, getting it out into production, deploying it, reacting to if there is an issue in production, uh, responding to that, all of it. If you write it, you run it. Exactly. Right, so now did when you decided to combine what used to be a QA team to a dev team, did anyone decide they didn't want to be a part of that team? Um, not so much of that, but uh, there was quite a bit of anxiety around how do we make that change? Uh, because you had developers who had never written automation, uh, automation never written test, uh, they were they had never approached the testing the way that the test team had uh, approached it before, and so they felt like they were asked to do take on this additional responsibility, uh, and and the same concerns on the test side where. Uh, they had kind of lost touch with uh, doing more deeper design and, and architecture work, uh, even though they had the core skills, because when we hired, we hired from the same colleges. Um, so there was quite a bit of anxiety around that. There was also anxiety around, uh, would we miss something? Because uh, we had a, a completely separate team that was constantly thinking about testing, and now we are asking the same person to do both. So this is the classic dilemma between specialization and generalization. and. Um, we had to think about all these problems and put a whole process and, and system in place so that we, we we made this change gradually and not just overnight. Gotcha. We gave ourselves almost 12 months to gradually shift. So a, a developer of the past would start writing more and more tests and then the tester of the past would start uh, writing more and more features. Uh, and they both were given the right support and the training uh, through that process. But fast forward now, uh, it's been now three years. If you walk into any of our feature team, you cannot tell who used to be a dev and who used to be a tester awesome. anymore because they're all engineers now. Gotcha. So uh, I've always, whenever I tell that story about the fact that we combine dev and QA, the first question I get is, but developers make horrible testers, right? Yeah. Like historically, even if they wrote unit tests, they only wrote the yeah. happy path unit test. They didn't try to pass in like aggressive values or yeah. so they'd have to validate it. So even that code wasn't, wasn't really high quality. It yes. was just, it, he verified that it did what he designed it to do or right. she designed it to do, but it doesn't yep. check for nulls. It doesn't very aggressive, yep. right? Or, or protective code. So how do we make good testers out of developers? How, yeah. I always tell them we wake them up. Yeah. <laughs> right, you, you, you run well, it. You, yeah, that is definitely, but you know, uh, you, by that time you already inflicted pain on customers. So <laughs> uh, I, I hope we do something more than that. In fact, we sure. do. Uh, so I think it starts with the, um, clarification is that even though uh, I as a developer now own a feature end-to-end, I'm taking a lot of help uh, in, in the form of peer reviews. So there is a much stronger emphasis on peer reviews, of starting from design, 
to code reviews. Code reviews now, you know, the mandatory peer reviews. Um, same thing with testing. You know, your test plan is reviewed by others. Everything is reviewed, 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 and you take a lot of help uh, from from the others. So there are other pairs of eyes watching over what you're doing, but ultimately you're still uh, the person who's accountable. So I think that uh, goes in a goes a long way. Um, and then we have, you know, we talked about safe deployment practices. Mm -hmm. We deploy to our first scale unit first. We try to find a lot of issues there. So we still believe in this kind of a dog food approach of finding some of the bugs. Um, and we rely a lot more on telemetry to find bugs in, in production. So there is a, we have to change our quality practices to, to work more in this new model. I remember once I was sitting in a team room and I thought it was really interesting. So an engineer is working on a feature mm -hmm. and it's talking about peer review. When he was done, he rolled his chair back and like Yale called to his peer and she rolled over, sat in front of his machine right. and just went to town on his code because he knew yeah. he was never going to test his code right. as thoroughly as a stranger or a yeah. person would. Because I always tell him, it's not fun to break your own code, but it's always fun to break your friend's code, yeah. right? <laughs> so she came over and she literally was just typing numbers where right. letters were supposed to go. And it was really neat to see how they leaned yeah, on we, each other. We have a number of teams sure. that do pair programming also. and oh, very uh, cool. so Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So let's go a little bit deeper into, we went from 27,000 or so right. tests to, that uh, were automation tests to unit tests instead. So uh, so we, we did the combined engineering, so that was first change. However, we still had the same test collateral that we had before. Sure. And we had a, that 27,000 tests that we, we were still trying to uh, manage, uh, meaning we run them, we have all these failures, we're going through all these failures, and we realized that this is this approach is not going to work. We need sure. another big change, and so we rolled out this uh, quality vision back in February 2015. And uh, you don't need to read all the text, but I think the basic concept uh, that we introduce is this uh, shift left uh, testing. Okay. So on the left, you see uh, how our previous test portfolio was made up of, and the nomenclature here is that the L0, L1s are the unit test, and the L2, L3 are the functional tests that require actual product uh, deployment. L0, okay. L1 are very fast in-memory unit tests. Uh, L2s are end-to-end -end functional tests, and L3s are also functional tests, but they, we, we run them in, uh, uh, in production. Oh, interesting, okay. So, uh, the previous test portfolio, which was developed by the test team over the last 10, 15 years, they were all end-to-end tests, um, and, and that require product deployment, and you run all these tests, take a long time. Uh, and so we drew this picture and we sold this to the team saying, going forward, we're gonna put a lot more emphasis on writing great unit tests, okay. great number of unit tests, and get most of our coverage through that. And these are going to be super fast unit tests. Um, we had a lot of debates in the org about uh, the value of unit tests and how is this approach gonna work and, and right. not work. Uh, but this is sort of another um, view, of, view of the same vision. And the idea there is that you want to be able to run lots of uh, L0 and L1 unit tests even before a pull request is, is pushed to the master. So Correct. by the time a code hits master, you've already done a fair amount of uh, testing uh, in, a, in a fairly quick amount of time. And then you run your L2s and L3 during your CI, uh, gotcha. CI run. Gotcha. So you said CI run, but so even your CI deploys to some environment? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have uh, your you know, rolling, test environment. rolling test environments, and okay. so yeah, it will deploy there. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, while, while that was good, it was concept, it was vision, people asked, so what actually happened? Um, and this shows what actually happened over, over the period of three years. It shows, you know, we started this effort in Sprint uh, 78 and um, Sprint 120 is the last Sprint year. 
and the red bars or the orange bars are the old test. Mm. So we started with 27,000 tests and guess what, at sprint 120, they're all gone. Every single test that we had before, they're all gone. They, the entire test portfolio has been completely rewritten. And the blue bars show the unit test that we wrote. And you can see a steady increase in the unit test and team now writes lots and lots of unit tests. So in fact, we have 60,000 of those unit tests that we run in a pool. In, in like six minutes, I know. Yes. I, I, I was telling the story last time we chatted that every once in a while I'll bring it up on stage when I'm presenting, I'll bring up a, our pull request screen. Yes. And because we're a global team that works in Hyderabad and works in, in the United States, I mean, at some point someone's coding all the time. Yes. And there's always a pull request and I'll show the test results and they'll see 60,000 unit tests in six minutes and yeah. they're just blown away by that we can do that. Now, I find it interesting though that unit tests test different test differently, and this is it. Like you have integration tests, which sounds like your, your last two types of tests, and your zeros and ones are your unit tests. Those are isolated, I'm assuming, right? They don't need any dependencies, and that's why they can be fast and they can right. be reliable. Um, so when you say you got rid of the old test, but you're still doing end-to-end, -end, yeah, so, so how does that happen? No, that's that a good happen? point. So uh, notice um, there is a line for L2 test, and the L2 tests are the uh, integration style end-to-end -end test. So we do have those, um, and, and uh, but the way we got the flywheel going is that first we wanted to build this muscle around just writing more and more unit tests. Okay. That's how we, we started writing those those more and left the old um, the the old test just alone for a, for a while. Okay. And, um, once we start once we built enough muscle around unit test, then we paid attention to the uh, end to end test and, got it. and removed the old test and replace them with the new style L2 test. These are tests that are written with the new test framework. We built a okay. new test framework that okay. allows us to run this uh, functional test or end-to-end -end test in complete isolation. And, and so more reliable. Highly reliable. Yes. They take less time. Um, so, um, whereas in the past it took two days to run this end-to-end -end test, our the new end-to-end -end test, and we have about 5,000 of those, we can run them in a matter of an hour or two. So. Right. The, uh, the time to run that has come down significantly. And so after you make a commit, within half an hour you get your first signal, which is completion of the pull request. You got 60,000 tests that uh, already gives you pretty good coverage and followed by a CI where we run the rest of the test. And by that time you're done. The entire product is tested. So within a couple hours you know whether the, the change you made was good or bad. Got it. So another thing I wanted to, to kind of touch on is when I was writing code and I didn't write unit test, let's say for example I would take something like a, a web, a Windows Forms application. On the click method, like I would double click on the button, it would give me an on click method and I would write all the code there. That's hard to test with unit test. Yes. Right? I mean, for me, it, had I been thinking I'm going to write this as a unit test, I would have taken all that logic out, put it in a class library or somewhere very easy for me to reach without having to fire up the application. So when you were making this migration from the old style end-to-end -end testing to we're going to do more unit testing, did you also have to change the way that you had actually written the target application? Yeah, so I mean uh, we had so much of legacy code, so ideally when you, if you want to write unit tests in a purest uh, uh, way, you would refactor the code so that you can write unit tests and you can test methods in complete isolation. We had to take more pragmatic route here okay. where we said, um, for all the new features and the new code that we are writing, new microservices that we're building, we're gonna try to take as much of the purest approach as possible, For the but for the existing code, I think uh, we are gonna allow some dependency. So for example, that's why we have this concept of an L1 test, where L1 tests are also unit tests, but they take dependency on SQL because we use so much SQL. 
um, and it was not practical to mock, mock away all of uh, SQL uh, dependency. Um, and, and so, so one of the things, you know, if I have to start a brand new product from scratch, probably I would not have an L1 test, I have probably only L0 test. But in this case, we have to make that compromise. Gotcha, so L0 are pure unit tests. Right. L1s are unit tests. Yeah, yeah. yeah I could say that. <laughs> because it they do actually take a dependency, right? Because yeah. a, a unit test in its pure definition is completely yeah. isolated yes. from all externals, like Correct. file system, everything. Yes. And we're saying L1s are, we have legacy code that it's cheaper just to go ahead and take right. that dependency but than still, a they run right. pretty fast. So the oh, 60,000 tests that we have, they include the L1 test also. Okay, great. Yeah. And that's like six minutes. I've seen them exactly. run in six minutes, so understood. Yeah, but uh, the only thing that concerns me there is that whenever you take a dependency, there is some risk. Yes. Right, because if the shape of that database changes, if the shape of the data in that database changes, you potentially get a failure. And that brings a very important point, which is test isolation. Why, what I mean by test isolation is that each test should leave the uh, the state that uh, in the database, for example, uh, such that the next step when it runs, it doesn't conflict with that. Okay, got uh, it. And that was another very big important principle that we had to drive, which actually required rewriting our test mm -hmm. core test framework. Right. Uh, because our previous course. Uh, test framework uh, would leave the state dirty, uh, right? Uh, and and that that's one of Has the reasons why. Has a cascade effect, and that's one of the reasons why sometimes tests fail, sometimes they pass, and you get this uh, intermittent result. I tell people that all the time, and I say I I write my integration tests such that they leave the database exactly how they found exactly. it, right? Exactly how they found it, so that there is no collateral. I mean, you use a finally block, right. so even if the test fails, I got to go clean up, right. right? I can't leave my database dirty. So yeah, that's that's, that's something I learned the hard way too, right? <laughs> you do this enough, you're like, man, that's yeah. that hurts. I got to go figure right. out a way to fix. That. Awesome. Right. So, so let's, let's show them what a, a pull request actually looks like. I think we have a, a build summary yeah, I think page. We have a screenshot too, right? of that. Okay. Yeah, that, perfect. In fact, this is the this is one of the pull requests that uh, um, and it shows uh, that we completed what sixty thousand tests uh, in six minutes. And by the way, this number every time in this slide, I don't know when I created, maybe a few weeks back. Uh, today, if you go, it's probably 62,000. In fact, it, in fact, it is 62,000. So they keep going up. It is so because <laughs> I remember I tweeted once. Sam Guckenheimer was on stage and he had this up. I was like, oh my god! So I took a picture and I tweeted it. The next week, that number was wrong. Yeah. It was like 10,000 more. I'm like, oh my god! This is yeah. so amazing that we keep producing this much unit test to make sure that the quality one of is the, baked into it. One of the side effect of that is, uh, yeah, it, the the time goes up. You know, so it, it's uh, six minute. Uh, it, it, I think this morning I checked. It's now seven minutes. So it bothers us. Uh, it, this used to be four minutes, uh, not too not too long ago. Okay. So one of the big challenges that we have and we are working on is keeping this, this time uh, as small as possible by parallelizing some of the tests. And, and again, the other aspect of this is being maniacally focused on each test and how much time it takes because there are times people write bad unit tests that take a uh, long time. We have a Time limit. Each uh, assembly, on average, should not take more than 60 milliseconds per per test. Okay. And if an assembly has uh, a test that take longer than that, we flag that. We file bugs. We expect people to fix them. Gotcha. Um, and, and so I think this is a this is an ongoing battle to just stay sure. on top of this. Yeah. yeah, because parallelization eventually is going to be your only option. Exactly. Yeah, because and we do run this test in parallel, by the okay, way. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So is it just a matter of now if we can scale out our infrastructure even Correct. further to allow yeah. more simultaneous execution? Right. Great. Because if you're doing the, of course, when you get to your L1s, though, running those in parallel has to be tricky because yeah, you're taking a dependency on so a database. For L1, recently what we did is we started running them in containers. 
So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, and that was, uh, that helped us shave off almost three, four minutes. Uh, of awesome. Uh, yeah, and uh, so we're constantly looking for the next trick in our bag. <laughs> to kind of take, uh, yeah. uh, for sure. So, so when this is actually running through, we also go through, so it goes through the PR, and then that's all the, your L1 and L0. Correct. And then if that PR succeeds and it gets merged into master, that starts CI, and that's yeah. where all your, do you rerun your L1s and L0s, or do you just start running your L2 No, L3? at that point we don't run L0, L1, because it's already gone through PR. So Perfect. we run our uh, L2s at that point, and, uh, you know, and we have close to 5,000 L2s. One of the things that we have added recently is uh, we allow developers an optional, uh, uh, you know, option to run the L2s as part of the pull request. So if somebody's concerned about a particular change that they want to have the L2s also run before PR is merged into master, all they have to do is just check the box uh, uh, in the pull request and we'll run the L2s also. Right, so their pull request now goes from a half an hour to more like two yeah. hours, right? Yeah, it goes it goes. But I mean, I, that gives me that safety that it I feel like safety. I know it's going to work. Exactly. And uh, again, that that's the other battle we are fighting of keeping the L2s uh, shorter. It used to take only an, uh, an hour six months ago, but our team is writing just so many tests and we are sure. bringing more and more features into the um, into the fold that uh, that thing just keeps growing. Uh, so let's say, for example, so this is obviously the journey that we've taken. Yeah. And, and this is where we are today. We're, like you said, we're always looking for new ways to be more efficient. If I were a company out there, how would I even get started? I mean, how did... How would you go about it? Because everyone can't get rid of their QA team. Yes. We're very, very unique yes. that we are our own first customer. Yeah. So we don't need this battery of manual tests run for, through a UAT environment because what we're going to do is we're going to install it right. and we're going to use it for 48 hours before anyone else ever gets to see it. So that's where we start to run all these manual tests. So if you're not as fortunate as we are yeah, right. to be our own first customer, what recommendations do we have for customers to even start down a journey I think, like this? I think uh, I would say a couple of things. First of all, I think we have to put uh, in perspective that even for us, this has taken a fair amount of time. Uh, the the that uh, graph that I showed, where we shift from the orange bar to the blue bar, that's uh, uh, that spans over two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, just doing that bit was two and a half years. Uh, the combined engineering, like I said, you know, we gave ourselves like twelve months. And that's starting from a position where our, both our developers and testers had the same basic qualification, they just had different experiences working at Microsoft. So bringing that uh, closer is easier than if you had a dev and test team that started with a very different uh, Or you had like truly manual with. testers, Correct. right? And, yeah. and by the way, at, at, even at Microsoft, it used to be that way. Uh, if you go back to the 90s, even within the test discipline, there were actually two separate uh, uh, roles. There was the role of a manual tester, and then there was the role of the person who built automation. the automation. Gotcha. Um, and so one of the changes that happened uh, in back in 90s is that we removed the manual testers first, and uh, a manual test role first, and made the, the tester role all-encompassing, meaning they have to own the testing end-to-end. We had to go through that journey first, and that was quite painful journey also by uh, by asking that test engineer to own both manual testing and automation and kind of rebuilding all of the skills. So this is the way you have to look at this journey is in stages. Gotcha. I think you have to keep the north star in mind. That the north star is that yeah, we would like everybody to work off of a master, have a process where masters just remains in extremely healthy state, which means you need to have a test collateral that runs really fast. 
there is a high emphasis on speed and reliability. Uh, but you got to figure out a pa path to get there based on where you are. Right, because I think the story that you just talked about where we took the manual tester and turned them into an automation engineer was the story I heard from Buck, because I don't believe all those manual testers made that transition. That is correct. That was a painful yeah. transition in the company compared to the combined engineering uh, one yes. that we did later on. Gotcha. That's uh, where, because I was thinking, man, I don't remember, that, yeah. the story doesn't sound correct, but or it doesn't sound familiar, but now that one does sound familiar. Yeah. So what he was talking about it was we had manual testers, and then we had automation engineers. Those came together first. Correct. And I believe some of the manual testers are like, nope, that's I don't ever want to see code. Yeah. And they went and found other occupations other in, yeah, yeah. In, inside of Microsoft. Then there was a whole nother, like, right. okay, we got to get you guys even closer to engineering, exactly. right? And then we got it. Okay, good. That's the part that I was missing. Very interesting. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I tell everybody, we're not done. Yeah. Right. So we're we're just this is where we are. What seven years in now? We are uh, in the cloud cadence for six years. This particular six shift years. into uh, quality practice is about three years. Gotcha. By the way, this last slide just shows uh, our PR and uh, rolling CI pipeline in action. So, uh, you know, it it provides some of the stats that we already talked about, like our PR to merge is about thirty minutes, of which about six minutes is running test. You know, we run sixty thousand tests, um, and then. Merge to CI. The CI build takes about uh, 22 minutes, uh, you know, and uh, and then the self-test and self-host are the two CI runs, uh, two classes of CI runs that we do. Okay. And so that takes about a couple of hours. And you can see our dashboard. If you come to our team's main dashboard, uh, this is the VSTS extension uh, showing the various runs. The columns are uh, individual builds, and the rows are different CI runs. And you can see. For the most part, they are very, very green. They remain yep. very green. Occasionally, you'll see a red dot like that, and but even there, if you see, it's like 99.50% pass rate. So probably a few tests that failed, and immediately they got taken care of, and the next build uh, is, gotcha. is green. So talk to me about these other. T I didn't. I've never heard of the self-test and the self-host. What, so what are self those about? So what it is is that because we are, the L2 tests are so many. Uh, you know, 5,000 of them. We just broke them into two um, categories. Self-test is is something, so you remember you asked me uh, in, in the other uh, talk that, hey, what if you have to do on a hotfix and yeah. you have to get it out quickly, uh, what do you do? So, well, this is what uh, this is why, and if you don't have the time to do the full two hour of testing, ideally you just wait two hours and get sure. the entire product tested, then, then you do the test, the unit test in PR, followed by self-test, which gives you a pretty good coverage of the product. And then the self-host is sort of the next ring of test, if you will. Gotcha. Uh, so the L2s are divided into two test suite, test, self-test, that gives you a pretty good coverage, and then self-host, that gives you a complete coverage. So I'm just curious, is when I look at a DevOps pipeline, I would have thought that the merge to self-test would actually be a release, not, a, not in your build. Right? As soon as I start testing against a deployed instance of something, I think of that being in my release definition, not in my build. So why, why are self-test... In fact, it is, they are in the uh, release definition. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Just the naming is it's a little naming off. All right, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, so yeah. we do a PR. Yeah. We then do a CI build. We take that CI build, we give it to release, and release starts doing our right. integration test. Okay, exactly. I feel much better. Yeah, and yeah. then what we do is like when all that is done, that's a completely separate release. We're like, now it's three weeks, time to deploy, and then yeah. we push the button on the big guy. In fact, this is a, the the picture I'm showing. I think it's a, the release extension, RM extension. Yes, so that's exactly. Cool. All right, perfect, perfect. That's very, very cool. Uh, well, as I hope everyone enjoyed this talk as much as I did. I knew the quality talk was going to be a good one because I get asked all the time, how yeah. in the world did you combine your engineers into your developers? How do you make them good testers? And I think we covered a whole bunch of that. So get your questions into the chat.
chat. And if we need to, we'll have Manil back one more time, <laughs> and we'll have some more fun. Thank you so much for awesome. coming. Awesome. Thanks right. for having me. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you.